Today's scripture reading is from Psalm 130, a song of ascents. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. This is the word of the Lord. Stop me if you've heard this one before. I'm sitting by a pool in Subic Bay in the Philippines uh, while the ship that I work on, the Logos Hope, is in dry dock. And along with the other ship families, the Wallaces are living on shore in this former uh, U.S. Navy base in Subic Bay. And there's lizards running around and there are feral monkeys and uh, the ship kids are playing in the pool uh, including ours. And Wendy and I are just over here, far enough away not to get splashed, not to get wet, but um, close enough to see our kids and to keep an eye on them. And they're at that age where, they're tr- where we're trying to encourage them to swim, but they're not quite there yet. Uh, I lazily look over and I clock Ariana standing next to the pool. She's watching the older kids jump in and I just know that she's trying to figure out whether she's ready to jump in. And as her dad, I know that she's not. Next thing I know, she's jumped in. And the next thing I know, she's not resurfaced. And the next, next, next thing I, I know, I'm running over to the poolside and I'm looking into the water and there I see Ariana looking up at me through the water. That's how I remember it, her standing on the bottom of the pool looking up at me, looking down at her through the water. In um, 2002, some major things happened. The euro as a currency started. Uh, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets was in the cinema. Avril Lavigne released her single, Skater Boy. It was a big year. Now, you might not know this, but 2002 was also the year that the World Congress of Drowning took place. Yep, I never realized it was a thing either. Anyway, this Congress, this World Congress on Drowning met, and they came up with a definitive definition of what drowning is, and I quote, Drowning is a process resulting in primary respiratory impairment from submersion in a liquid medium. Now, while this may be scientifically accurate, uh, I don't think it captures the essence of the experience itself. Psalm 130, on the other hand, Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. Now, there's no more powerless feeling than drowning. And the psalmist is saying that he's in such a place of spiritual desperation that it's as if he were drowning. And in that place, what does he do? He cries out to God. Lord, hear my voice, which probably sounded like... 
Lord, hear my voice. He knows his need. He knows he's helpless. And so he does the only thing that he can do. He cries out. Okay, back to Ariana. She was watching the older kids jump in. Next thing, she's jumped in the pool. Next, next thing, she, I've noticed she's not resurfacing. Uh, the next, next, next thing, I'm at the poolside. I'm looking down at her, looking up at me through the water. And then the next, 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 next thing, I've jumped in, clothes and all, and I've hefted her out of the pool onto the side. Here's the thing. I think that in her little four-year-old brain or whatever she was, Ariana knew as soon as she jumped into the water that she'd made a massive mistake. And there was nothing that she could do about it. But here's what I like to think. As soon as she saw my looming shadow over her, I, th I think that she was confident that everything was going to be okay. And then there was a splash, a commotion, a grab, a lift, a heft, and the next thing she's on the side of the pool and she can breathe again. So let me ask you this this morning. Where is your, your confidence placed? Where is the confidence of your soul placed? When you are drowning in sin, which is what the context of Psalm 130 is, when you're drowning in sin and mistakes and failures and bad choices and consequences and wrongdoing, when you're in that place, where is your confidence? Well, you might say, well, I shouldn't have any confidence because if I've screwed up, then I should own it and I should accept the consequences. I need to be a big girl or a big boy and just take whatever's coming to me as a consequence of what I did. And, and there are lots of people who live like this, who are living with the guilt of sin hanging over them like one of those little rain clouds uh, in the cartoons that's just over their heads and that wherever they go, it goes and it casts a shadow over everything. And they figure that the only choice left to them is to make the best of a bad situation for the rest of their lives. The best they can hope for is to make some kind of peace with this rain cloud, with this shadow that's over them, accept it kind of as a part of who they are. But the psalmist, he doesn't do that. Okay, you need to get this, okay? You need to understand this and try to keep this in your head. On the one hand, he's absolutely convinced that he is in a bad, bad place. He's drowning. He doesn't sugarcoat it. But then on the other hand, he's absolutely convinced that God is going to help him. Listen to what he says in verse 3. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you. The psalmist knows that if God kept a charge book with his name on it, if God kept a file, then, then he wouldn't have a leg to stand on. He knows that he would be declared guilty right away. And that's the same with all of us, right? If God pulled out a ledger with your name on it, uh, and inside was every thought and every transgression and every sin of commission and every sin of omission, and, and it was all listed there, there would be nothing that you could do. Because you know that God has every right to throw the book at you. No one could stand. 
No one could stand. And in this psalm, the opposite to standing is drowning. If you're not standing because of your righteousness, then you're drowning in your sin. But, and Nathan talked about the big buts of the Bible last week, but with you there is forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you or so that you may may be feared, which is another way to translate this last bit, so that you may be feared. Now, I love this because the psalmist, he doesn't say you are a forgiving God. Instead, he says with you there is forgiveness. It's like whatever location God is, forgiveness is right there with him. It's like the cologne that God wears. My grandma died last week and my siblings and my cousins set up a Facebook messenger group simply to share anecdotes and funny stories and memories from our grandma. And I didn't know whether to laugh or cry as we shared these stories and these impressions of this wonderful woman. And now one of the memories is from my sister and she wrote this. I loved going to see Grandma in the morning as she applied her Olay face cream and put on her Chanel perfume and thinking how lovely she smelled. Smell is such a powerful memory hook, right? Now, I wonder, what are your favorite smell memories? Maybe it's a campfire. Maybe it's fresh cut grass or the smell of tarmac after the rain has fallen. Maybe it's the smell of oranges, maybe freshly baked cookies. But what about the smell of forgiveness? Have you ever smelled forgiveness? Because here's the thing, wherever God walks into the room, it's as if there's this waft of forgiveness with him. He smells of it. It's in his pores, if he had pores. You can get close enough to him and you can inhale forgiveness. With you, there is forgiveness. It's, it's, it's there with him. And then it says that you may be feared or so that you can, or so that we can with reverence serve you, but so that you may be feared. Now this fear here is the same fear in Exodus chapter three, verse six, where God shows himself to Moses in the burning bush and God shows up. And it says in Exodus three, verse six, that Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. It's this kind of fear. And here's the thing that I want us to understand. Uh, When we hold in one hand the utter, utter, utter hopelessness of our situation, and then we hold in the other hand the utter, utter, utter confidence uh, that in Christ God can and has and will save us and will forgive us. Verse 3 and 4, when we hold these two things in our hands, um, our gut response is not some blasé, well, God has to forgive me because that's what God does. No, our response is, is fear. When you understand the depth of your sin and the height from which God came down to rescue you, 
When you look at the cross and realize the freedom that Jesus purchased for you with his life, you cannot help but think of God with an element of awe, with an element of respect, and with an element of fear. Both confidence and fear coexist in this moment. So our need, verse 1 and 2, and our confidence in verse 3 and 4 leads us then to our posture in verse 5 and 6. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. There's that repeating that Nathan talked about last week, that repetition. So here's the question. Uh, Why is the psalmist waiting? If he's called out for help and God, and and if he's confident that God's going to rescue him, um, why is his posture now that of waiting? Well, I'd like to explain it like this. It's like when you go to the clinic right? You've called, you've scheduled an appointment, uh, you've arrived at the right time, maybe even a little bit earlier. And then you arrive and in front of you is the desk. And what do you do when you arrive? Do you walk past the reception desk and go up to the doctor's door and just hammer on the door and say, I'm here. You said that you'd see me at this time, and so I'm here, so let's go. Bang, 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 bang. Is that how you act? Of course it's not. No, instead you go to the waiting room, and you sit, and you wait. You are confident that you will be seen, but the confidence does not give you the right to insist that you are seen right at that very second. Friends, there's a difference between having confidence in God and insisting that God acts in a certain way right now. There's a difference there. And let me tell you this, if if you've felt the guilt of sin and if you've then felt the relief of knowing uh, the confidence that God is going to rescue you, then the last thing that you're going to do is to say to God, forgive me now, I demand it. And that's what it means to wait or to hope. This is why the um, psalmist uses the uh, image of a watchman here. Because they know that morning's coming, they, it's a sure thing. It's a sure thing. They know morning's coming, but it's not there yet. And so they're patient. They're standing to attention. They're scanning the horizon and they're waiting. And here's my experience, you know, just to make it a little more practical and real life. Um, there are times, many times, m- more than I would like uh, to say that, that I've sinned against God I know that I have, I felt his hand heavy on me, like Psalm 32 verse 4 says. Um, I know that I need to repent um, and 
I know I need to turn to him. I know I need to call on him. Uh, and sometimes it takes me an hour, sometimes maybe two, sometimes maybe a day, maybe two. But eventually I call out for God to forgive me. Uh, and yet in that moment when I call out to him, I don't feel forgiven. I don't feel right yet. Something is still off. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, asking God for forgiveness, but not feeling forgiven. So what's happening there? Why don't I feel better straight away when I ask God to forgive me? I wonder if maybe it's that what I think I need to repent of maybe isn't the whole story. Maybe God, who is infinitely wise and kind and just and pure and loving, who sees everything and misses absolutely nothing, maybe he sees that there's more work to be done. That that sin that I've repented of, uh, that is the main thing on my mind, is actually a symptom of a deeper brokenness uh, that God wants to do deeper work on. It's like going to the doctors with a headache, uh, expecting to, pre- to be prescribed something to manage the pain, and instead the doctor books you in for an, an MRI. Because he's concerned that this head pain maybe is a brain tumor. Friends, you've got to trust the physician. And that is why... My friends, why, when we realize our need, verse 1 and 2, and when we express our confidence in our God that he will forgive us, verse 3 and 4, that our next stage, our next posture, our next stage is, is this posture of waiting and hoping. Not demanding and stamping our foot and saying, I said I'm sorry, God, what more do you want? But instead, waiting on the sunrise of God's revelation, allowing him to bring to light what's truly going on inside. Because God is less interested in patching you up than he, than he is in putting you back together. And sometimes the deep work of forgiveness requires time, of healing, of cleansing. You know, God can forgive you in an instant, and that's, that's really how it works. Um, and, you know, that's how it works. Um, your heart is cleansed and you are made new, but he also leads you on a journey of restoration, uh, of healing, and of deeper forgiveness. Maybe it's something that you aren't even aware of yet or you're not ready for yet well God is leading you and if this is you then I encourage you to wait on God to have this posture of waiting on him to 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 uh to wait in his word to to um to wait with your whole being and in your his word to put your hope friends both the Lord and his word are both our sources of hope. The word he speaks to you through the Bible and the word that he speaks into your mind and in your heart through the Holy Spirit. In his word, I put my hope. 
So where is your hope this morning? Are you drowning? Then cry out to God. Trust in his forgiveness and then wait on him. So the psalmist has told us his need, right? Out of the depths I cry. Uh, He's told us his confidence. God forgives and he does not keep a record of past sins. Praise God. He's also told us his posture based on his need and the confidence which he has. And this posture is one of waiting. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits and in his word I put my trust. And then in verse 7 and 8, he starts sharing his experience with others. He starts sharing his story. This need and this confidence leads to this posture which leads to a story. Now uh, based on what he's experienced throughout the first six verses he then starts speaking hope into the lives of others. Verse 7. Israel put your hope in the Lord for with the Lord is what? Unfailing love. And with him is what? Full redemption. Verse 4 tells us that that forgiveness is with God. With God is forgiveness. And verse 6 and 7 tells us, or verse 7 tells us, that with God is unfailing love and with God is full redemption. It's incredible, right? There's this guy called uh, Chandler Burr. He's, he's a perfume expert. You know, this is his job. He's an expert. Um, this is his, his work, his job. This is, this is how he spends his time and makes his, his, his money. So he's a perfume expert. Now, I want you to listen to how he describes one of his favorite scents. Okay, listen to this. This is a spectacular freaking scent. I love this. It's hugely present. It has so much depth. It's dark. There's an absence of light in it. It works in shadows. This is, this is a smell he's talking about. It's the equivalent of the lower part of an orchestra. You have a trombone and a bassoon and a cello in there. It's just wonderful. Now, you and I might just say, well, it smells nice. But Chandler Burr takes it to a whole other level. There's a complexity to this fragrance that just gets him in here and gets him excited. And this is the same with the Lord. You know, like I said, God walks in the room and you smell forgiveness. And it's a good smell. It's incredible. Wherever God is, you smell forgiveness with him. But then as you linger in the fragrance, you start getting other notes. And so you take a deeper sniff, trying to catch what it is. And then you get it. Underneath that initial waft of forgiveness, there are these other scents. Unfailing love. And wait... Full redemption. This smells incredible. With God is forgiveness. With God is unfailing love. With God is full redemption. And it's all part of this same reality. Friends, this morning you are 
Israel. You are the Israel of verse 7. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. And our psalmist is speaking to you. He's, he's saying to you, put your hope in the Lord. Uh, he's experienced God's forgiveness. He's been lifted out of the miry claim, being put on a, a firm place to stand. And out of the overflow of his heart and his experience, he says this to me and to you. He says, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. It's a love that will not fail. So call out to him. It's a redemption that is full. Now, this word redemption here is not so much a religious word as it is an economic term. It's a marketplace term and it refers to God paying the asking price and buying you back. It's as if he sees you in this farmer's market of sin and you're broken and your head is down and you were dejected and you failed and you have manacles around your wrists and you're being prodded and sized up and weighed up by, by people who might want to buy you. And, uh, 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 and then God sees you and he goes up to the slave driver and he says, I'll take her, I'll take him. And, and while he's doing that, Satan kind of sidles up to you and he whispers in your ear, look, I know that God's talking a good game, but look at yourself. You're a pretty poor specimen and he won't want you. Eventually he'll grow tired of you and then you'll be back here again. Friends, that's not true. His redemption is full. His love is unfailing. It's a covenant. It's a promise that, that, that he has made that is based on his faithfulness alone. God's, God's promise, God's covenant, God's agreement with you did not start with your faithfulness. And it does not depend on your faithfulness in order to continue. It's based on God's character and his faithfulness alone. Jesus paid for your freedom with his life. And so when Satan comes to you in that marketplace and whispers that God doesn't love you anymore, you can say, I put my hope in the Lord, for with him is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. I can say that I am unfailingly loved, and I am fully redeemed. This is the song that leads us into gospel hope. So let me ask you this. What circumstances in your life are not covered, covered by these two truths? What sin of yours is outside of God's jurisdiction of his unfailing love? What failure or brokenness of yours transcends God's full redemption? When God came face to face with your sin on the cross, he met it with the one-two of unfailing love and full redemption. And your sin did not stand a chance. 
You realize what Jesus absorbed on the cross, right? What Jesus took on himself, every spiteful pinch, every suicidal thought, every dark, twisted fantasy, either lived out or merely imagined, every flash of pure, blind hatred that might have led to murder if the circumstances were, were wrong, or, um, you know, each actual murder, every dark web click, every pornographic lingering, the darkest of dark. Jesus paid for it all. And it's also worth mentioning that he paid for every so-called respectable sin of yours as well. Every sin that you minimize or you justify or you explain away. Every word of gossip, every judgmental thought, every moment of pride and self-congratulation. Jesus died for it all. The psalmist says in verse 1, out of the depths I cry to you. Not out of the shallows, not the I can just about touch with, with my tiptoes. Not I can keep on doggy paddling until help arrives. Uh, until help arrives. Not that, it's out of the depths. And the depths is hopelessness. The depths is darkness and water in your lungs and oxygen um, and no oxygen, and currents, and sharks, and moray eels, and, you know, jellyfish, dark shadows in the water. These are the depths. The depths is not, oops, I messed up again. The depths is the primal fear of hopelessness. The depths is, I can find no purchase with my feet and my clothes are dragging me down and my eyesight is getting black around uh, the corners and my lungs feel like they're about to burst. The depths is the point of no return. It's the moment of truth. It's the moment where you have nothing left to you except the word, Lord, help me. Hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. And it's at that moment where you've got nothing left that God hears. And he enters into your space with forgiveness and with unfailing love and with full redemption. This is a God, my friends, whom you, who, who you can put your trust in. Who it's worth waiting for and hoping in. This is a God who teaches us a song to lead us into gospel hope.